Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to a very special prehistoric spoiler special for Jurassic World. Yes, that's right. Colin Trevorrow's follow-up to Steven Spielberg's classic original dinosaur flick. Uh, there were two in between, but we don't like to talk about those. Uh, 14 years after Jurassic Park 3, and here to discuss the movie with me in glorious, spoiler-filled, third-act ruining detail are... Uh, Helen O'Hara, how Hello. are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm also joined by Phil Dissemlian. How are you, Phil? Very good, thank you, Chris. And last but not least, we are joined by not just Empire's resident Jurassic Park expert, but one of the stars of Jurassic World, uh, as Edmund, the indelible character Edmund. Don't look me in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> We've been over this before the, uh, before the podcast. He, uh, you blink and you'll miss him. Is it one shot you're in? It's Nick Disemble. Hello, Nick. Hello. 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 Hello, everybody. This is the first time we've had a spoiler podcast with the team where the talent has been involved. It's I'm, amazing. The, the, the emphasis heavily on talent. <laughs> uh, I, I've seen the film twice now. I'm pretty sure I'm not in it. I, Colin Trevorrow <sighs> says you are. He claims I am. He claims you are, but... Um, Okay. There's no evidence on screen. <laughs> so far, yeah. Happening, but I'm going to keep going back. Well, we've got the, we'll the laser pen until this matter is, <laughs> is cleared up. But um, just to clear things up, we think you're in the early sequence with the Mosasaur. Yeah, it's when the people get splashed, uh, and we okay. were we were hosed down with freezing cold water okay. for about ten minutes. Okay. Uh, so I'd, I'd like to be in the film after that. Okay. Before we get into it, if you haven't seen Jurassic World, then do stop listening to this. Go and see the film. Go to the cinema and see it, and then come back and start listening to it because we're going to get into it in great detail. And we also got into it in great detail with the film's director uh, and co-writer uh, Colin Trevorrow when he came at the pod booth recently. He gave us a lot of his time and discussed a lot of the film's key incidents and key moments. And he was talking to Phil and Nick. And here it is. We are thrilled and delighted to be joined by the director of Safety Not Guaranteed and of course now Jurassic World, Colin Trevorrow on the Empire Podcast. Spoiler special, Jurassic World spoiler special. Colin, thank you very much for coming in. A pretty uh, pretty impressive and awesome Empire cover for this movie. We had a lot of readers putting their pets behind the, <laughs> behind the, the kind of slashed cover. Yes, anything that becomes meme-worthy... Yeah. Uh, instantly is is good by me. Speaking of meme worthy, I wondered you tweeted a while back um, a picture of a Jeff Goldblum standee that was uh, that was adorning your production office on this movie. Yeah, uh, who got to keep that? I take it you're not you know, traveling the world with it. It's still uh, it's still in the building. Uh, I, I actually see it through a window uh, where we cut the movie. Is the same building uh, that we were in pre production, and somebody managed to get it and put it in their office. So I'll pass by. It's probably some other show. It's like you know, scandal or something, and I'll just pass by, and they've got the Jeff Goldblum in there. So it, uh, he lives. You just pass it, pass it from production to production, like right. some sort of cool heirloom. I don't think anyone could. That, that will never go in the trash. Like no one could ever let that. You know, let that go. There'll always be somebody who wants, uh, you know, open-shirted Jeff Goldblum. I think it's illegal to throw that away. Yeah. For starters. Talking of of Jeff, rather Ian Malcolm, he appears in the movie in a form. Mm-hmm. Can he you does. can you elaborate? Because I didn't spot this, but uh, he's on a book cover. Yeah, he's on a book cover very early in the film uh, as they're on the monorail headed into Jurassic World. Uh, and, you know, your eyes are always focused on something else. And th those are my favorite uh, kinds of ways to bury things when it's like, you know, the third time you see it. But Zara, uh, who uh, is hopefully a character that uh, will grow to, I guess, now that now that we know she's you know, horrifically uh, <laughs> torn apart, uh, is a character we'll all, we'll all grow to love. But she is reading his book uh, on, on the way. And then also uh, Lowry has it on his desk. Right. So you see it at certain points. Uh, God, God created dinosaurs. Amazing. I, I was a little traumatized by Zara's ending. 
sure. in this movie. I guess that's the point. Well, yeah, it's a it's a terror <laughs> it's a horror film. I mean, <laughs> what a way to go. Yeah, it's the way I want to go. Well, you know, it was funny. We had uh, we knew that uh, it was the first time that a a woman was going to die in a Jurassic Park movie that had never happened before, oh, and yeah. we feel like you know we're an equal opportunity. A uh, bunch of murderers uh, on this movie, and so we felt like, all right, if we're going to do it, you know, uh, let's let's make it the most spectacular death that we could possibly imagine, and involve you know multiple animals from you know sea and air, <laughs> uh, and and we certainly did, and you know I love that moment uh, so much. It it really is, uh, it it is a moment that that just articulates very clearly, you know, the kind of, of action and surprise uh, that I love and tried to do with this movie as much as possible, which is, you know, playing on the audience's uh, expectation and, and jadedness even mm -hmm. uh, to storytelling. And you drop her in the water and immediately everybody says, oh, I know what's going to happen, but you don't. <laughs> and then the birds start coming in and then you get distracted by that. And then suddenly what you thought was going to happen happens. And uh, I love uh, just trusting that, uh, you know, everyone in the crowd uh, is certainly going to be uh, thinking about it the same way that I am. But it's it's uh, it's the part of the film that hopefully you kind of shed that a little bit and start allowing yourself to watch it the way you do when you're a kid, which is you don't think about how they made it or what they're going to do next, how they're going to manip manipulate me, uh, which is my ultimate goal is to not necessarily set your brain free. It's not a mindless movie, but uh, watch it like an eight-year-old. Had to be the British character, though, didn't it? Had to be the bitchy British nanny. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I'd be accused of that somewhere. Well, she's Irish, uh, okay. so she had no problem with it. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, we definitely struggled with how much uh, to allow her to earn her death. Mm. Uh, and ultimately, uh, it wasn't because she was British. It was because she was a bridezilla. That's what we settled on. <laughs> and we gave her, you know, she has one line where she's saying... Bachelor you know, the, party. Yeah, yeah. The, the bachelor party, oh, because all his friends are animals. and uh, But in <laughs> the end, you know, I, I feel that, you know, the earned death in these movies is something that, that's become a bit standard. And another thing that I wanted to subvert and, you know, how can we surprise people? Well, let's have somebody die that just doesn't deserve to die at all. Mm. Uh, it happens in horror films all the time. Uh, and I, 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 it, 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 it shocks me at times, and I, I know it's coming. I mean, have you guys totted up the body count of this film? Because it, it has the biggest body count of the Jurassic Park films. I think it has a bigger body count than the others combined. It gets crazy. Yeah. And that wasn't our intention. It's it's no. just that, you know, the, the scale of, of, of action and the amount of carnage... Uh, you know, the minute that you you know you let a bunch of uh, pteranodons and dimorphodons out and and they're attacking a crowd of people, we actually don't know what the body count is. <laughs> I was going to say, how many people died in that sequence? Any, I mean, all we, I mean, we see at the end, we see a lot of you know people with their eyes poked out and, and broken arms, but that means there were other deaths uh, that are are unaccounted for. So we, you know, we wanted to to suggest a, a great deal of of carnage and death. The Toronto attack. I just I've I've Googled them because I just sort of assumed that they were all pterodactyls, but I'm right. kind of a little ignorant on the dinosaurs. But they're not pterodactyls. No, uh, pterodactyls were from a, a bit of a different era, and you know all of them. Uh, you know my dinosaur knowledge does not extend probably as far as you'd hope it would as a director. It's of my this next movie, twelve questions. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> okay. we shouldn't be going into the to uh, dinosaur history with me. But I, I, you know, the Pteranodon and the Dimorphodon are are, are real flying reptiles. They're not technically dinosaurs, uh, but uh, the Dimorphodon is is a new animal that, that we brought into this film that I uh, was fascinated. 
fascinated by because uh, it's it's a flying it's a you know a flying animal with a dinosaur head. Mm. Uh, it's like a raptor head with wings, uh, and it it was it felt like a gremlin. You know, just... that's that's interesting because the gremlins popped into my. You have a wide shot of them all sweeping in the air, and mm-hmm. it's just utter carnage. Yes, and the gremlins popped into my head as like a kind of reference point for that. So right, like the kitchen where you just get it a just big feels wide completely of out of control. Yeah. Anarchy. Well, I hope that that you know shots like that, and that that I presented it that way in, in hopes that on rewatch. Uh, people can go back in and look at something different every time. And uh, I think the first time you see it, there's so much that it's, especially in 3D, that it's hard to even process anything specifically that's happening. But there's a lot of little mm. stories being told in those big shots. And when you go back, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted it to feel like a Bosch painting, like those triptychs with, mm. you know, millions of different stories uh, being told all at once. And uh, there's great little buried moments. There's a, you know, there's a shot uh, in, in the shot you're talking about uh, and another one where the boys are watching Zara about to get eaten there one of the demorphodons has like a, a stuffed t-rex toy and he's and just like, <laughs> yeah, really? all the stuffing is coming out and uh so we, we did very you know a lot of little gremlins like kind of moments and that was one of the best things about uh those that group of extras is you know th- we were able to sort of reverse engineer you know moments of horror because if an extra is running and they look back and then you know, look over their shoulder and then put their hand on their back like that informs uh, a Demorphodon landing on them. And uh, we had a lot of, we, you know, a lot of people went down that day. We, we we mixed in stunt people with the crowd who would take these really brutal falls and we'd have, you know, groups of several people take group falls. Uh, uh, and it ends up, uh, you know, in that particular one, I, I kind of like, I, I like the 3D in this movie a lot. I like the 2D version better because, you know, 3D has has a tendency to make things feel more like rotoed than they are, uh, and and they're very well integrated. Uh, and when you see it on the Blu-ray, especially, they they really are well integrated into that space. Uh, that, but that was a, that was a difficult difficult sequence. There's a nice moment in the the main street chaos sequence where someone runs back to get a couple of cocktails. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know who that is? No, it was that Jimmy Buffett. That was Jimmy Buffett. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he just has to take take his margaritas with him his margaritas. on the way. Yeah. And those are very, you know, the I feel like my way of approaching uh, you know, Spielbergian references, uh, the things that stand out to me are not just, you know, the moments of awe and the, and the things that we all recognize, but there are, there's always little, you know, moments of comedy that, that are his personality, uh, that he puts into them. And, and so we tried to have, you know, just these little vignettes here mm-hmm. and there that, uh, you know, keep, keep a sense of levity amidst the horror. Yeah. Which worked really well. To go right back to the beginning of the movie, you start with an Amblin logo we do which i think is the first time there's been a moving amblin logo since catch me if you can it's been a while and this is the first time anyone's seen this one we did a new one for this movie um and was that your thing was that it was you know it was something that steven had been thinking about for a while and and frank uh really supported and and it was something that you know i think probably was was encouraged by the fact that they were working with a with a fan and someone who was a kid, when all of their movies, uh, you know, did what they did, and uh, to me, it was just, you know, of course, you know, we should make a new Amblin logo, and 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 why why do we have, you know, Marvel and Pixar and Lucasfilm and and these brands that that assure you you're going to get something very specific that you love if you go to see a movie with that brand, but we don't have Amblin. Why not? And we should. And so let's let's make this an Amblin movie, and let's let's make more Amblin mm. movies. And you know, there's there's nothing in the marketplace that does what those movies do. It felt like a mission statement. Absolutely. Yeah. I wanted to go to the um, petting zoo. I love the idea that you have dinosaurs in a petting zoo saddled up for kids. Yeah. But also going back to the, the attack. 
yeah. is that there's a moment, isn't there, when when I think one of the Triceratops, baby Triceratops gets lifted. Right, he's trying to pick him up. And but he can't. he can't, yeah. And I just felt such a sense of relief that he didn't manage to take this baby Triceratops. No, they're, they're very so lovable. You couldn't let that one go. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to hurt the a baby. Oh, that'd be horrible. A baby triceratops. I, you know, that idea of a child riding a triceratops is is certainly, uh, you know, it's something that he tried to do in Jurassic Park. They were going to shoot that, uh, and they couldn't. And we had a uh, we had a drawing. We had a Crash McCreary drawing of, of that idea, and so we were able to to place it in this movie and make it work. But it was the first day I was shooting uh, and I had my son, that's my son, who's laughing on the top of the baby Triceratops when they, when we, we uh, sort of pan up and, and, you know, it was in the script and you know, I put it in there, you know, we see a giant dinosaur foot and you think it's going to be something large and it's in fact something small. And, uh, and, but I wanted to make sure that, it, you know, we didn't do a big wide establishing shot of that. We were, we were in there with them and it, it felt like you're, you know, you're a part of that, of that space, and and that was something that's that's so crucial to that part of the movie is that sense of immersion uh, in a real theme park, and and you know all of the the best parts of a theme park, and then also the the really shitty parts. Like it's also <laughs> hot, and you're in long lines, and your kids whining, mm. and you know, we wanted to make sure all that stuff. You know, the complaining was in there too, and the the uh, the, the the I just work here guy, yeah, the Irish beer, he was fantastic. <laughs> He got big laughs. Um, I take I, I take great pride in in uh, my day players, is what they call the guy. You know, people who come in for one day that are often, you know, they have one or two lines, and and people kind of toss that stuff off, and they they don't think much about uh, much about that. But I think that you know, having people who are are complete characters that you can look at and and read into their life history immediately, and you know, you know that guy, <laughs> he's he's there every day. He probably smokes way too much weed, and he's and he's he's sick of his job. And and, and like the, the how mundane it is, the fact that you could be bored yeah. with uh, this ride that is you know borders on sci-fi. And another another day player whom I love uh, is the girl who uh, is announcing the Mosasaurus, uh, just because she's she you know it it seems like you're you're at one of these parks. Like yeah, let's see if she's hungry today, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about her lunch. Yeah, the gyrosphere guy. Just to go back to him. Was mm-hmm. he? He reminded me a lot of the character in The Simpsons, the kind of the the whiny voice guy who's always working <laughs> tedious jobs was right. that a reference or no that... it's just him you know i saw yeah. him uh and uh, he felt it's funny you know, you, see, you see all of these auditions different people and occasionally somebody comes along who just their face tells a whole story uh, and he was one of those uh eric edelstein the guy who's the paddock worker who gets eaten the overweight paddock worker. Uh, the overweight paddock worker and and what i love what i loved being able to do is because a lot of these guys come from the improv world and I'm, I'm really into to you know improv comedy and ucb and and uh, th- their ability to find little moments uh, always inspires me, and so I think we you know, we're, we're able to play kind of a yes and uh, thing where you know there's a moment where Eric Edelstein is is realizes that the dinosaur is broken out, but he still takes a second to finish the chip that he was eating, uh, <laughs> and that's you know it's subtle, but uh, you know it always cracks me up. It's the little things that crack me up. The the glasses that Lowry wears in the control room yeah are they based on nedry's glass are they the same glasses as dennis nedry um maybe subconsciously subconsciously they are. yeah that's okay. possible uh you know that was I, I was actually thinking the mustache was but but either <laughs> then i look i thought for some reason i assumed that sam jackson had a mustache in that movie and i, I don't think he does but i i make i make these connections did he have a mustache? i think he does he does, does okay. Ray Arnold. Yeah, to yeah, me yeah. it was more the mustache if anything else but uh you know that moment i you know the fact that jay johnson is wearing a a vintage Jurassic Park t-shirt 
uh, is something that we did. You know, I, I wrote that little bit for him uh, the day before because it, it was it was mostly about having you know these great character actors and wanting to make sure that they had something to do. And and you know, I was you know a lot of this movie, the whole existence of this movie is is you know it's based on Derek and I kind of writing what we know at a time when we were dealing with you know the needs of a massive corporation who wanted to bring back uh, you know this you know this thing, whether it was a good idea or not. And, uh, and so we wrote a movie about that and, uh, you know, that, that moment where Jake gets to, uh, to sort of say what the whole audience, uh, is thinking at that point of, you know, why do you have to do this? Why are we here? You know, the, the real dinosaurs were good enough. What are you these hybrids for? To me, that's just him talking, hopefully talking everybody who, uh, has fears about this movie being their, you know, the worst parts of, of what we don't like about movies today. It sets everyone at ease and at least lets them know, look, we get it. Like, it's us too, and we're on your side, and, and now we're going to tell the story. There's so much there's so much wonder in this movie and, and moments of sort of awe, but there is a slightly depressing notion that, that we just get bored of stuff, you know? And, yeah. and, and no matter how amazing it is, we're like, okay, there's just that's a bloody T-Rex. I've seen one of those. Yeah. You need to keep, you know, which is, I guess, a, something from within us. I it imagine is. as a filmmaker, you're at the sharp end of that, like, you know, Mad Max has done this. I need to do yeah. that. I need to. We need to keep pushing it forward. Well, no and, one can do what Mad Max did. <laughs> my God. Uh, but you know. I, I, but actually, that you know, the reaction to Mad Max got me very excited because I, I do feel like people. You know, when something comes along that that is truly breathtaking and and truly uh, you know kind of crazy and and amazing, people do acknowledge it. You know, they they don't hate on something just for the sake of hating on something. Uh, and and I th- it was kind of a great moment, like in in movie geek history, when we all kind of and I'm certainly you know, I am we all got together and decided you know what we love this and this is good and it it gave me great hope that that when you do something right and when when you hit the notes that we're all hoping you hit, everyone will come together and say you know what yeah, cool. Well, there's definitely <laughs> moments uh, of that in Jurassic World and let's go let's cut to the end and okay. this amazing final battle which is just dinosaur upon dinosaur pile up yeah with an amazing end note with the mosasaurus how quickly did you guys come up with that as the ending of a movie of the movie um you know we it, it really all of it stemmed out of it was, it's all character based and i consider all the dinosaurs to be characters and uh it, it, it was much less about you know let's you know throw as many dinosaurs into the frame as we possibly can than it it was a very natural set of of results uh from all of these stories that we'd set up and it, you know it felt like claire was on a journey uh from being a very corporate uh individual uh to somebody who was going to you know embrace that you know these these are animals that are living things and and uh the the choice that that is made uh between uh the indominus and Chris Pratt by by the Raptor, like you know, these were all things that I'm sure if you even read them in the screenplay, you'd imagine how the hell are they going to make that not ridiculous? And those are the kind of ideas that I love the most is things that could be terrible because oftentimes you know th- those are the things that are that are the best. Uh, you know, I'm sure if somebody sat you down and was like, you know, 
here's a movie idea. It's it's a guy and he can do magic. His father can do magic too, but he's part robot. And then he's got a friend with a dog buddy who flies around <laughs> on a spaceship. And you're like, that's crazy. You're like, no, but you know, Star Wars is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, th- that the ending was kind of a culmination of like all of these ideas that could have been terrible that we thought we would just like throw on the roulette table and yeah. see if we could make them. But you awesome. guys really go for it. And and yeah. as soon as I realized what you were going to do with the T Rex, I had a big goofy grin on my face because yeah. I didn't see it coming. It's uh, it's astonishing when he's unleashed. Now you've you've compared the T-Rex to Burt Lancaster in an interview. Right. Do you remember that? Was, that? <laughs> that was a little bit, yeah, more of just like the way that when Burt Lancaster got old, his face actually got like tighter, you know, and he, he looked like stronger than he did when he was younger. But a little, a little bit of Clint Eastwood, for yep. sure. Um, <laughs> I would have loved it if he'd emerged from the enclosure and just said, match me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was, uh, there, was some, there was some fan who like tweeted me, said, like, the, you know, they, they, I don't, whether they know the T-Rex is going to come out or not, the, anyone who doesn't want to get killed better get on out the back. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the T-Rex's mo- uh, Clint Eastwood moment. But you, uh, didn't have, you didn't have other sort of reference points for the other dinosaurs of... Of, of other of, human you know, actors. Because you no, had actors no. actually performing the raptors, didn't you? you we did. Yeah, we had performance capture for that and, and they they, you know, we, we wanted them just to feel like animals. And, and they were a bit more avian than they've been in the other movies. They were a little mm-hmm. more bird-like. And, uh, and we wanted to really differentiate the, the, the reptilian kind of dinosaur from, from the avian dinosaur. And, uh, but when it comes down to the end, you know, the, the only other you know, sort of movie-based reference we had was Rocky. You know, that mm-hmm. final fight uh, is essentially you know, Rocky versus Apollo Creed. And, mm-hmm. and you know, the the T-Rex comes out and, you know, you have this, uh, we have like our, you know, our high noon, like Western shot where you're like looking over the hip of the T-Rex down at, at, at the, uh, the other gunslinger. Uh, and then, uh, mm-hmm. when that goes down, the fact that we, we take her down pretty fast and suddenly she's on the ropes and you're like, get up, Rocky, get up. Yeah. Uh, you know, to be able to, to, to create the kind of emotion that, you know, you know, and then, you know, the, the Raptor gets to come out and be Han Solo. At, uh, at the end, of, at the end of Star Wars and the Falcon, and you know, you get these moments that, as kids, you know, these these are so ingrained in us uh, that uh, it's sort of you're you're being able to to channel all that into a dinosaur battle was like the nerdiest thing I ever did. And you were saying before this that t- technically that was a really difficult thing to pull off. Yes. Sort of- push Dylam to their limits a little bit. Right. That's where I have to stop being a, a child and become an adult when I realize <laughs> there's millions of dollars of, uh, being spent on a, on a single minute long, minute and 10 second long shot yeah. uh, that involved uh, a techno crane uh, that turned into a, uh, a dolly that turned into a camera on the back of a motorcycle. Yeah. Uh, and all of these things were knit together into one piece. And the reason why I did it that way is, you know, we built this entire set. I wanted it all to be as as practical as possible, at least in its environment. And I also didn't just want the movie to end with CG dinosaurs fighting each other. And so I had to integrate the people into it. And in order to do it in a way that isn't just cutting back and forth between all CG dinosaurs, humans watching in awe, all CG and back yeah. and forth, uh, we had this long shot that suddenly you throw them right into the action and they're a part of it. And uh, I, I don't know if it if it would work the way it does mm. if they weren't in it. I now want to see a kind of buddy dinosaur movie with the Mosasaurus and the T-Rex teaming up. <laughs> I know in the Lego game they've got a thing at the very end where uh, the the it cuts to inside the uh, the Mosasaurus's stomach and it's the Indominus Rex and Zara like playing cards. <laughs> That's a true story. That's yeah, a sequel. You mentioned Lego. I can't let this pass by without asking you. Chris Pratt obviously has his own Lego figure. Bryce B.D. Wong, I think, has one. Vincent mm-hmm. D'Onofrio has his own. Mm-hmm. There's no director 
Lego. Oh, no, there is. I, I have a Lego. I'm in the video game. But you don't have your own little Lego man, though. They're going to make me one. Yeah. <laughs> they're not going to sell it because nobody would buy it, but they're going to make oh, one. I we would they're gonna, there's actually a, there, I'm in it. There's me, yeah. uh, Steven's in it, and Frank's in it. Amazing. Uh, and you can actually, it's funny because at the end of the Lego game, if you beat the whole thing, you can play the entire game as any of the available characters. So you could play the whole thing as me if you so chose. Are I don't know good, why you would good, do that. Would you be a good character to play? I, you know, with all of the other options, probably not. But uh, I feel like, you know, my son will do it. There'll be one person in the world who'll play the whole Lego game as me. I'm going to do it. I love okay. those games, and, so and, I'm, I'm going to do it as well. The game is incredible, though. I've played the game, and I, I, you know, I, I can endorse the hell out of that. It yeah. is awesome. Some of the guys who make the Lego games listen to the podcast, so yeah. shout uh, out to them. They know how, they know how much I love it. it yeah. It's incredible. You are in the movie. Uh, my voice. Yeah. My voice is You are Mr. DNA. I am the voice of Mr. DNA. an iconic character. Yeah. Uh, and that actually came uh, out of a temp thing. Uh, we were doing the temp mix, you know, when you show the movie to the studio, we we went in and did like a, a week long just to just to make it sound like a movie. And so I went into the booth and, and did the line real quick and we always assumed we were going to hire somebody to do it. Uh, and we EQ'd a little bit and we we found a place where, it, you know, it actually sounded like him. So we kept it in the film and uh, I asked Brad Bird to come in and, and do a voice. He's the... the uh, the voice uh, of the monorail announcer as they're heading through. And I sent him, the, you know, as I do with a lot of people, even who have one line, I sent him this like really detailed character description of, of what he was. Yeah. And it was like, you know, you're, you know, you, you live in the, you live in the, in North Hollywood and you're writing screenplays by night and you do the tour by day. And then you, know, <laughs> like, I did it for you too. Like you we, gave me a fantastic <laughs> uh, sort of backstory for Edmund. Right. The, uh, <laughs> my iconic character. Yeah. Everybody needs a story. Yeah. What was your Mr. DNA line? I think I remember he says something about the the building blocks of life, and when John Hammond, yeah. you know, that's I won't do it on the air. You got to see that. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay to see that. Yes, there's been talk right. online of the Stegoceratops. I'm not yes. sure how much you delve into the forums and all that kind of stuff, but I've yeah, I'll tell the story of the Stegoceratops. So here's what happened. There initially was a scene in an earlier draft of the script uh, that Derek and I wrote. There was a scene where while well, Bryce and Chris were out in the jungle, they came across another hybrid and it was a scene that informed them that you know under her nose without her knowledge uh dr Wu has been making other hybrids and uh and it was, so the reason why it's a hasbro toy mm. uh is that those toys are locked like a year out and uh you know i i thought i would put the scene in the movie and so they made the toy and uh and then my son uh who was he was six now he was five at the time and he watched return of the jedi for the first time uh and he saw it and he loved it but then he said you know dad you know if if uh if leia is also a jedi that means luke isn't unique I was like, huh, okay. And and then I applied that for some reason to this other thing uh, that that uh, that meant, you know, I, I felt like there could be only one. Mm. Uh, you know, the idea that there was more than one made it not like the synthetic amongst all organics uh, that had to go. And suddenly it just seemed entirely wrong uh, to have it in the movie. And, and the minute that I decided it was wrong, I just suddenly hated the idea. Uh, and so it was it was excised like mm. right away, but the toy still exists. So like this remnant of of something that uh, was never shot. It was uh, never it shot. Was cut, so it was it's cut not in the script stage. Scene, right? No, no. Yeah. We have a couple deleted scenes, not many. Uh, the only deleted scene that is really of note. Uh, there's a scene where Chris and Bryce are walking through the jungle, and he uh, ha he has her you know 
put dinosaur shit all over her body. That's in one of the TV spots. It's a, yeah, they use it in some of the spots uh, in order to cover up the scent uh, mm-hmm. for the dinosaurs. And it actually, it is a very funny scene. It was a, came from, you know, Stephen really loves people rubbing dinosaur shit all over each other. Like it's, <laughs> it's, he really loves it. And he suggested, it was actually, he was suggesting that the boys do it. And we were like, well, maybe we can make kind of part of the romance and we can do it like this. And so we shot it. It, it actually, it, it isn't cut because it doesn't work as a scene. It, it was cut because at that point in the movie, you know, we, we have the tension ratcheted up to a certain point and, and for suddenly for the two of them to be, you know, engaged in this kind of romantic comedy banter on that level with the amount of, of intensity going on around them just felt very uh, out of place and so we I took it out. It's just as well this film isn't in smell vision because Chris Pratt has petrol all over him the entire mm-hmm. movie pretty much, doesn't it? Right. That was always he the, the whole movie and then, you know, if we had kept the scene in, he would have had petrol and, and dinosaur poop on it. That was always, for some reason, Derek... He always was very deeply bothered by the fact. He's like, no, but he's got like feces on him. Like he has to wash that off. Like he was really, he's just from a sanitation standpoint. He, he just, he's like, we got to cut this scene. This is, we can't do it. I wonder what the hardest scene to say goodbye to was for you when you were in the editing suite. Because it's a very, it's a very trim film. There's no yeah. fat on the bones and it moves at a whip and there's no scenes that drag. There must have been things that you're like, oh. There was one thing, you know, it's, and you'll see we put all the, the first cut of the movie was two hours and ten minutes mm. and the movie is now two hours and four. I mean, I guess 157, you don't count all the credits. So there wasn't, there's no like three hour version of Jurassic World and, and uh, what was cut were mostly bits in the middle uh, with the boys traveling through the jungle and there's, there's one just really nice little moment where the two of them are sitting on a log after having jumped off the waterfall and the little boy takes out like a tiger's milk bar out of his out of his you know his little nerd pouch dork pouch whatever his brother calls it <laughs> uh, and he's you know he's got it and he's kind of mad at his brother for for having gotten him into this situation and he looks at him and he breaks it in half and gives it to the brother and and then the two of them climb up to the top of this hill and they look out and the older brother's like no no you got this and then he takes off his Jurassic World band and he throws it aside kind of pissed off and you know that's the kind of stuff that you're if you want something to move you know mm-hmm. it has to go but I I love those boys. I think that we've we've pulled off uh, a Jurassic Park movie where you're not annoyed by the children. Yeah, um, you did. She, you know, and 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 I I take great pride in that. And and yet, you know, there there are there's some stuff on the Blu-ray that I think if you like the movie, you really are going to like. There, it's you know, I usually deleted scenes. You watch me, you're like, yep, mm. that definitely didn't need to be there. <laughs> uh, and these things, I think you can see why narratively they would go, but they're they're consistent and they're they're equally uh, I think entertaining as the rest of the film that they're in. I wanted to also mention a, a particular moment which got a big laugh in the screening, which was between your old pal Jake Johnson yeah. um, and Lauren Lauren Lapkus's uh, the two of them. They've got this, yeah. they've got this kind of thing between them in the in the control center throughout yeah. the film, and it plays in a kind. It plays on the disaster movie cliche of that we're gonna die we may as well have a last snog right. and he's misread the signs so horrifically <laughs> i mean i would never put myself in that situation i guess everyone can kind of relate to that horrible sort of misreading of the signs i, I, I it seemed to me that it was a moment where, where sort of jake johnson's character almost kind of knows he's doing that he's like he's seen the disaster movies yeah. and he's kind of playing on that himself so there's exactly. layers to it I just someone has to stay behind yeah which particular yeah. films he'd seen and he'd like <laughs> this is like he's just the Poseidon adventure the towering infernos flash to his yeah. mind well he you know Jake Johnson's character is all of us you know he's he's empire readers he's me he's you and uh, from the start to the finish the fact that he's wearing that you know vintage Jurassic Park shirt that he got off of eBay for like 500 bucks uh, and, and so we you know Jake and I built that character and, and Lauren as well you know Lauren was essentially 
you know, she had a couple lines. She didn't really have much to do in the movie. And I asked her because I, I think she, she's a great uh, improvisational actor uh, and, and does a lot of work with the UCB as well. And so I asked her to come in and I just said, look, we're going to, I promise you, like, we're going to find something great that's mm-hmm. going to make your character have uh, some real value. And that we did in a lot of ways. And, and Jake, the same. And that moment was, it wasn't in our script. Uh, it was something that we, we did at the last minute and we actually shot it both ways. We do have footage of him kissing her. Really? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, the, wow. he does. He does get the girl in one option, and and I even put it in the original. Uh, the fir- one of the first cuts, I put it in that he kissed her, uh, and and that we didn't have Bryce kissing Chris. I knew I could only pull off one kiss in this movie. Like couldn't have two. Uh, <laughs> there could be only one, as I said before. Uh, and you know, but it's it's one of those moments that I think feels uh, very true to anyone uh, who ever kind of like stepped outside their comfort zone and, and took a shot. Uh, and and I, it, it's actually the most certainly the most personal touch in the movie for me and it's it's just one of those moments that you reckon if you've seen safety night guarantee that you just recognize mm. like yep that's that guy yeah. uh uh and especially it being you know what you know jake and i and, and derek specifically and yeah yeah it's 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 the idea that at a moment uh where we're at peak carnage and peak fear mm. that we could have something that is a is a surprise you know that's just me trying to have a surprise in a movie which is so hard to do now and uh, I think it's less about something you know jumping out at you when you least expect it it's like you know let's let's have an let's have a moment that <laughs> you're laughing because you can't believe this is happening in yeah. this movie right now one more very quick question for me I wondered what happens to the helicopter pilot it's that it's a who shot Oh, that nice guy, Eddie, of your movie. <laughs> where is he? Is he that, still you know on the that island? Is? That's that's uh, Pat Crowley, uh, the producer, yeah, Pat Crowley. one of our producers, uh, and you know he ultimately uh, the reason why he wasn't in there. You know, we needed the ACU guys in there because we, you know, they were going out on a mission. Uh, and she says as she's coming out, and she's like, "Oh, he must have gotten cut up in the evacuation." So we just figured that, you know, he's <laughs> he's he's met a lady and he's out having his own time, like he's oblivious. To, like, I what's had a going feeling he might on. be having a fag or something, and he's going to come back. And he's going to come like, back and be like, "Where's the helicopter? Where's everyone gone?" He's probably off with the girl Edmund was meant to meet. Exactly. But, yeah, that's the full, that's tragic the story. story. That's right. The Spanish uh, girl. <laughs> Uh, Nick Robinson's character. Yeah. What happens with him and his girlfriend? I was invested in that. Oh, you were? <laughs> yeah. What happens? It's very kind of ambiguous. Yeah, I guess you'll you'll never. I, you know, I think that you know Nick. I, I love the way that character changes, and and he would he represents to me something that. Uh, you know, we do with two characters in this movie. I, I love it when you're allowed to not really like a character at first. And then, you know, he's not, he's not, doesn't do anything likable. He's just kind of a jerk to his brother and he's disrespectful of this girl. And, uh, and Claire isn't necessarily that likable at first, too. And to be able to, to take someone, uh, to a point from where you dislike them to, to where you love them. Uh, I, and I did it in safety as well. You know, you don't really like Aubrey Plaza. Um, you're like, what the hell's going on with Mark Duplass? And, and, uh, you know, that's, something i hope to continue to do i don't know what uh, what his resolution is but i do know that he's you know his relationship with his brother is is forever changed and i think that mm. uh you know there's a there's a real danger in becoming maudlin you know when you when you deal when you traffic in in those kinds of of stories and i felt by keeping it as simply as simple as possible mm. and making it as universal as possible uh we would we would pull it off and you know i think having a having a moment where uh, people who have been through traumatic experiences are able to connect uh, on a on a deeply emotional level uh, that is as pure as I think, you know, brothers are. Yeah. I, I was also emotionally invested in Vic Hoskins' Wolf Pup and that whole story. I there's to... another, oh man, that is some, oh, we should put that on the Blu-ray. There's a, there's a last part of that, uh, of that uh, conversation that I loved uh, that we should make sure people see, but he, 
After he talks about his wolf pup, he says, yeah, you know, I took that wolf and I, I put it in the ring with one of my buddy's pit bulls. Uh, and, you know, the pit got, got, got a hold of his scruff early and just wouldn't let up. Wow. And he like, and, and he goes <laughs> into this kind of like, you know, this, this really emotional moment when, and then he looks up at Omar and say, like, that's not going to happen here. Right. <laughs> uh, it was a it was a great moment. And it's one of those things that, you know, obviously for pacing, you know, these, these yeah. things go out, but, uh, I, I may have gotten a bit too character based with that, but I, I did love that. I enjoyed it. He's a fun hissable villain. You must yeah. be happy about Daredevil coming out, you know, a few months before and everyone being on the Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, he got that while he was on the set, and he was so excited about it. Getting to, it's funny because we had to, uh, he had to do a little bit of of ADR of dialogue replacement for us, and and I asked him to record this line, and he sent back this dialogue where he he was like, yeah, we gotta go find the helicopter. And I'm like, dude, that's not what your character sounds like at all. Like, what is that? And he's like, I'm sorry, man, I've been playing Kingpin, and I can only talk like him. I don't know how to talk like. Hoskins anymore. It took a while to like get him out of it and get him to talk like the other character. He went that deep in a kingpin. Wow. wow. We, have, we, have, we have to ask, there's been internet chatter about Jurassic World 2, about another sequel. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there have been conversations about it and that there is stuff in this movie which seems to, you know, not be tied up in terms of in-gen mm -hmm. arriving and taking embryos off the island and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Can you, can you say anything about that? The purpose of it and is something that I, I promise Stephen, that I would do is is create at least create a scenario where we had a lot of avenues to go down uh, and and be able to open it up into a bigger not necessarily universe. You don't want to use that word anymore because suddenly there's going to be a Jurassic World universe. And I don't think there should be. I don't think there can be. I think these are very singular experiences. These movies and they are in danger of all feeling like remakes of the one before. And uh, and yet there is an idea that I'm very interested in and intrigued by, which is you know if if you apply the you know, if you apply what happened with you know nuclear power to to dinosaurs? You know that started very small, and then it was it was used uh, for a weapon, and then for for power itself, and and uh, it, it spread to the point where there's now what twenty two different you know entities or countries that have that capability, and you know the ability to make a dinosaur has always been localized to InGen and and to Jurassic Park, and what if that goes open source, and what if there's a world where uh, you know many many different kinds of interests uh, can can make a dinosaur, and uh, I think there there is there's room in that and there's also room in in exploring further a world where we have the same relationship with dinosaurs that we do with other animals on this planet like imagine you know th there are lions in that jungle don't go in there or you'll get eaten but we recognize that they're there uh and i i think there's there's space for it i'm not sure if i'm going to be the one that that carries it on certainly uh not from a, a directorial standpoint i think that this franchise actually would be better served, in, just in my personal opinion, uh, at this moment in time, by uh, having different uh, directors and the way they're doing with Star Wars. Like, I think that each of those Star Wars movies are going to be very personal uh, and, and very different and completely new visions. And I think they need that. And I think this this franchise could use that as well. I'm I there's there's some pretty cool you know Spanish horror directors that I'd love to see their Jurassic Park movie. You know, as a mm. fan. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Henry Wu solo movie. Yeah, we'll see, about, <laughs> see about that. I don't know. It's you know, it it certainly doesn't have the breadth of like the universe isn't quite as deep as as Marvel and Star Wars and all those. So these movies are different, and and that's why it's it's important uh, that you know we're very careful and and we don't run this thing into the ground. And that's something that I I'm going to be a, a big advocate of. One very quick final question. You were kind enough to let me jump in and have a very short cameo in this, which mm. was amazing. Is it true that you cameoed in Ghostbusters two? 
<laughs> well, I, what I don't know is if I you can see me in the movie. I know I went when I was a child. I, I probably was like 11 or so. It came out in 1989, and I went uh, to Kerner Optical, uh, which is uh, where ILM used to be out in San Rafael. And I was one of – I got in a costume, and I was one of the ghosts walking off the Titanic. Oh, wow. wow. Uh, when when they said the Titanic, it showed back up. So, I, you know, I've always – and I haven't. I've always wanted to get a Blu-ray. Yeah. And go see if, like, if I if I pause it, and just in the way I'm sure you'll do with this movie. Although you'll have more success than me because you're clearly visible uh, in this movie. And I don't know if you did it on purpose, but there's there's a guy who, as the as the the uh, bleachers are sinking down to look at the Mosasaurus, somebody stands up. Uh, to and which and I used it because that guy stood up. It made the whole thing feel like it was going down. It's like, oh, that that works. It turns out it was you. Hey, amazing stuff. It wasn't on purpose. I was probably <laughs> no. just like, going he's a pro. He's a pro. Season pro. Colin Trevorrow. Thank you so much for coming in to talk, chat mm. to us about Jurassic World. Thank you kindly for uh, for your time today, and uh, best of luck for uh, for the release. Uh, Colin Trevorrow. There, he was amazing. Lovely guy. He brought us champagne. He brought us a bottle of champagne. <laughs> champagne from his uh, from his hotel room, which was okay. very nice. Uh, right. Very nice of him. Yeah, yeah. Good, good, good. Uh, okay, so we've got a lot to talk about in Jurassic World. Uh, let's just go around the table very, very quickly and gauge our our general reaction to the film. Are we in the for camp or are we in the against camp? Uh, Helen, where are you? Where do you stand? I'm um, I'm somewhat moderate. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot of fun to be had in it, um, uh, but I have I have notes. <laughs> it's too late, Helen. They've made it. They've finished. <laughs> Phil Cap. Um, I really enjoyed it. I, yeah. My expectation levels were set at a very reasonable level, I would say. Yeah. Um, it's not remotely as close to being as good as the first one, but I thought it was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I was I was definitely in the four camp. Best since the first one, I would say. Yes. Okay. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I have quibbles or quibbler sources, um, but. Yeah, it was uh, it was a really good time. Uh, it's it's a weird kind of all quasi remake of the original. It's half sequel, half yeah remix almost. You can almost overlay it on top of the first film in a way, can't you? You know, it ends with you know raptors pursuing people at the at the end through yeah. the park. And, and I liked a lot of that stuff. I liked a lot of the callbacks, but there was mm-hmm. maybe a little bit too much. Maybe I would have liked it to have been a bit more of its own thing. But lots of great action and. Uh, uh, I'm the same. I wrote the Empire Review. I gave it four stars. I thought it was terrific. Uh, it has flaws. It has flaws as big as Indominus Rex, but I think it, the, the, the ride is enough to make you forgive most of those. We'll get into them, I guess. I wonder if any of the, the leader scenes gave more depth to Katie McGrath's character, Sarah, the, the sort of assistant who just got a little bit careless, lost the boys, was a bit preoccupied with her Blackberry or whatever, and, and ended up paying for it with a, a horrible death, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, the yeah. most protracted and grotesque yeah. death, and I, I you since know, the end of the Naked Gun, pretty much. If yeah. a steamroller would come along at the end <laughs> and finished her off, that would have. Uh, like, yeah, it's kind of uh, it. It was a weird one. I get, I get what <laughs> Trevorrow had said, you know, in interviews that it's, it's about you know, kind of surprising you and killing someone who doesn't deserve to die, particularly. You know, there's the, these things usually function as a bit of a yeah. morality play. The bad people die first and worst generally speaking. Um, and that really kind of wasn't the case with her. Yes, she she lost them, but she wasn't an awful, an inherently awful person. Yeah. And she gets a really awful death. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, no, cool. I'm not it saying was it just, It cool. doesn't really match the... Uh, if it happened to that grizzled, bearded merc who shoots, yeah. nonchalantly shoots one of the dinosaurs and grins, you kind of would have gone, oh, okay. Yeah, all right, fair enough. That yeah, and, it's, but, and I get the surprise factor, but it did feel very weird as a result. 
It, yeah, it felt. I was watching it because we, we've seen it. Who's seen it twice now here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, three of us have. And the uh, yeah, second time, particularly, I was going, she's done nothing. I mean, deserves got nothing to do with it, as a great man once said. But I was just sitting there going, she really doesn't deserve this. I mean, she's being pecked to bits by uh, pterodons or, you know, whatever they are, dinosaur experts. And, you know, then she <laughs> she's dropped into a pool. And then I know why they did it with the Mosasaur to remind yeah. people that the Mosasaur is there. So when it pops out at the end and goes, hello, then you're not going, oh, right, okay, I forgot about that thing. Um, but yeah, that's a bit over the top. It, it's weird though because, you know, they. I think he very much undercuts our whole expectations of morality and so on here. Because I think it's interesting as well with the Owen character, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this more. Mm. But Owen, okay, he he thinks it's terrible that his velociraptors could possibly be used for warfare. Mm-hmm. But my question to you is this: What the hell does he think he's training them for, if not warfare? <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, they're go. He says we've done hunt drills a thousand times. For what? <laughs> Mm. What do you think you're training them for, well, if not for war? So, so presumably it's second thoughts. Catching any loose pigs. I mean, from, from, what D'Onofrio's, <laughs> from what D'Onofrio says, he is actually, you know, been brought on to train them for this and now is having second thoughts. Helen, but that loose makes pigs him a is bad a major person. problem. It's a major pigs. problem. <laughs> yeah. There's one in the office right now, just squealing around. Pickles. Haunted, the haunted pig. I think that he's maybe not the sharpest tool in the box. <laughs> you think that beautiful, beautiful, muscly Owen Grady is no. not also an intellectual? No. Well, uh, you've just turned my but world upside down. He likes bikes and board shorts and stuff, yeah, but dude. A, come on. Yeah. Yeah. A bit of a dim, he's a bit of a dim bulb at times, isn't he? Maybe he hasn't really thought it through properly. Maybe he's on a payroll, so yeah, it is hard to really yeah. know what he's up to there. It's, it's an interesting thing because the movie's coolest image, uh, which is on all the posters of yeah. him on his motorbike unleashing all the raptors, is something he is against and the movie is kind of against because, mm. you know, it leads to lots and lots of people getting killed. It's a, it's a <laughs> terrible idea. Yeah, but but yeah, the bad that's people. the coolest. By that yeah, point, I know, but they could have been, some of them might have been nice. Some of them might have been nice. Some of them, are, they've all got families probably. Yeah. But yeah. It could have been I, Paul Barry. It, it could have been Barry. It could have been. My question is, <laughs> poor Barry, uh, my question is, like what? Yeah, not just what's he training the raptors for. Why did they have raptors on the park at all? Because I didn't get a sense that they were being used as an attraction. No, they didn't seem can, to be. I can get why you wouldn't have raptors as an attraction, given their <laughs> propensity for escaping and killing everyone. But why have them at all? Well, maybe the plan was to, like the Mosasaurus, that they were planning to eventually put on some kind of show for yeah. the tourists at that at that thing, that, and uh, and you know that he was training them mm. so that you could have a raptor, yeah, you uh, know, uh, like uh, on a tightrope on a bicycle book. kind of show. That's yeah. what I took out of it. It was going to be some lion taming. They would leap through hoops, blazing hoops, wow, on bikes. That's plausible. So, so he's a one man Siegfried and Evilosauruses. So he's Siegfried and Roy. But I got that impression that they were training it. You know, like they presumably trained the Mosasaurus to expect that that's how it's going to be fed. That there was there was some end game in terms of like the, uh, an attraction, yeah. and then the military industrial sideline came <laughs> along and thought, oh hello, we'll have a piece of that, and we'll yeah. put them in the te- we put them in the tunnel network of Torabora. It would have cleared out Al Qaeda and have, wow, <laughs> seriously. I mean, come on. Well, like a, I mean, in yeah. fairness, if you saw a raptor coming at you, you you know, yeah, you'd be worried. They this are, is they all stuff. Fast. They're this not is, bulletproof, but this fast. is all stuff from the John Sayles draft, which um, which is online. You can find it fairly easily, and it's absolutely demented. It has dinosaurs parachuting out of a plane. It has an end, uh, a third act in which um, they're in the the jungles of South America, and raptors have got cameras attached to their heads, like in Jurassic World, but they're you know taking down drug dealers, infiltrating a compound with a guy called Nick, who is basically the the um, the Owen character. Did you write this? Yeah. This, yeah. this might be this one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
And it's got also got uh, Dilophosauruses with laser beams and stuff. Freaking laser beams <laughs> attached the, to their the, heads? It's the greatest thing ever. <laughs> it's basically Doctor Evil. We, do you know actually what we should we did actually miss out on a cutaway to the families of the deceased security team <laughs> that would have been brilliant in the middle of this yeah okay so i can kind of oh, all right if if they are being trained to basically be performing lions then that would be something that would make a vague sort of sense i have a question Fine. i have a question quickly okay. yep. why does owen punch vic hoskins because he he man and man no like other what man what has vic hoskins done at that point Vic Hoskins has, about his he's just he's just reveled in it, hasn't he? He's just like you can clear, you can tell that he just likes the fact that everyone's dying and his evil plan, which is kind of vague and undefined, is is slowly clicking into place. I liked Vic Hoskins. I really liked him. I, I savored his his pantomime I, my nefariousness. Fav- I think my favorite Vic Hoskins moment in the film is when the, the park is descending into chaos and all the flappy birds are flying around killing people and. <laughs> And he walks up on the roof of the of the uh, the observation center, and he just grins evilly. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Just, and then there's another bit where um where uh, Owen goes away. It's like um Park is beginning to descend into chaos, and I think it's Barry actually goes, "Oh no, we have a situation here." And and Oscar's like, "Oh no, ter- that's terrible. That's terrible. Terrible to hear a situation." Then Barry leaves the frame, and he immediately calls Doctor <laughs> Wu and goes, "I think um, yeah. oh, everything is proceeding as I have foreseen." I noticed on the second <laughs> on the second viewing that he has a nice line in hen-based metaphors. He has he has at least two, like it's a hen and a fox. Out. You know, he, he's constantly talking about hens. So I wonder if he's got a little book in his pocket of hen metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> My big book of hen metaphors Babies, by, yeah. by Vic Hoskins. We have a Hoskins-related question later on, but uh, uh, here's another couple of ones from Gareth Griffiths who uh, sent in loads. He says, was the CGI good enough? Do you know what? I had a bit of a thing about this. So I've been uh, I've been writing a piece recently about Stan Winston and, and all the work, you know, combining CG and practical effects in the first film and indeed the second and the third films. And I kind of wish they'd done a little bit more mm-hmm. practically. I feel like they could have done. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine it's that much more expensive. Genuinely, I, I really, really can't. Because the, the amount of money that goes into CG as well is, is pretty astonishing. Mm. It's interesting having, having talked to, to the, sort of the producers and, and the director of, of this that uh, Trevorrow had to really argue and fight mm. to get that one legacy animatronic yeah. into the movie. And, and which one is that? Is that the, is that the, the Brachiosaurus? It's the, uh, it's, I think it's in Apatosaurus. Apatosaurus, the, the dying the, yeah, one. Yeah, the, the one that you see, the, the yeah. neck and the head, yeah. mm. which is wonderful. I really love that scene and I love that, that you can really feel the difference. You can you know? feel the difference. And that's the thing, because I was looking at that scene and I'm like, I, I feel like this is real and I get it and I like it. Um, and then I was looking at the raptor heads in the cages, you mm. know, when they've got them in those mm. sort of little muzzle things. Mm. I'm like, that doesn't look real and I can't see any reason why that wouldn't be. That that to me is an, a perfect example of something that should have been real. And quite frankly, also the little baby plant eaters that the babies are riding in the petting zoo, which is a genius idea, mm. absolutely genius. Apparently, it comes from the first film. But, yeah, it comes from oh, a Crash McCreary uh, concept art. I mean, that a hundred percent on. Board. I, I said that actually before the film came out because mm. that that was a shot of that in the TV spot, and I tweeted, I think, why was this not practical? Why, like, wasn't why it practical, were they not yeah. practical? Or a combination of you know the Triceratops could a hundred percent have been a practical. Yeah. I d- yeah, I didn't understand. Apart that. from anything else, you could just use those for the theme park. Yeah, like a real theme park in real life, you could mm. have a, a little baby ride along an animatronic. Mm. I hundred percent agree, yeah. and I, I think there is stuff when the foot of the um, the Indominus comes down, and Chris Pratt's under the car. Mm-hmm. It could have been a practical foot. Yeah. It could have been. Mm. And uh, yeah, I'm baffled as well because as it was on the original film. Yeah, with the yeah, and I, I'm baffled as well because that that T Rex sequence in the original film uses digital and practical so well. Yeah. And I feel like you can really tell 
that this is all digital. The Indominus is all digital. Yeah, like the the, the uh, especially the, the towards the end. But the Mosasaur for me never felt real, and even the shark, the shark yeah. that hangs down as they're about to feed it. That mm. just even from the trailers, right from the off, I just thought oh, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's, it's not listening the right way. Um, Cat Brown, formerly of this parish, would like me to ask at this point. Um, <laughs> Why the hell they're feeding it with great white sharks? I mean, obviously, it's a very funny in-joke for uh-huh. film fans, Jaws, etc. But white sharks are also endangered. When we did the trailer breakdown, mm-hmm. um, we asked Colin Trevor about that, and he said that they have a great white shark cloning facility on the island. Mm-hmm. So of course they, they are, do. I did they think they must be producing them. The mm-hmm. other thing is that they said that the uh, Indominus Rex cost, I think they said $6 million, because I've listened twice, because I was surprised by it both times. Mm. And they said it was $6 million that development. Seems... That seems insanely low. Woo, syringes are very expensive. That's low or high? That really low. Really, wow. really crazy low. Daffy doesn't say a billion, no? I, wow. It sounds, I mean, please, listeners, like, yeah, yeah. listen yourselves. It sounds very much like million to me, and that sounds incredibly low. That would be, frankly, less than it probably costs to make it in CG. Yeah, so, it's less than the costs the average theme park to make a roller coaster. Yeah. So, wow. Okay. I agree with everything that you've said about the, the CG. It doesn't feel quite like, although it has, and I wonder how much the fact that the, the dinosaurs were performance captured some of the time makes it simpler or harder for, for rendering and compositing and CG compared to the first Jurassic Park movie. But that, that awe that we all felt when we first saw the, the, the dinosaur reveal mm-hmm. um, in the park in the first film... It's really impossible to to replicate nowadays. Yeah, I, I yeah, I, it's interesting. We're getting off the beaten path here a little bit with this point. Sorry about that. But in the first film, I think the first time we really hear the Jurassic Park theme, you know, the majestic sweeping Jurassic Park theme, is that shot of the park and it's in its all its glory, and you see all the dinosaurs in the in the distance, and the, you know, and our experts are just awestruck by it. And the first time we hear the Jurassic Park theme in this movie is a shot of the park itself. And I just thought that kind of reflected different priorities. Well, they were maybe. hiding. They were holding back on the dinosaurs, I, I know, guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. I know. But it, and I know that the, the film has this cake and eat it in terms of, oh, look at all this product placement stuff and we're going to smash it. But it also, it just felt, I don't think that's that, it, the park itself. Yeah, it's funny. It's in, there's so, so circularities. I mean, it's a film about, the theme of the film is, you know, how to combat diminishing returns in terms of surprise and expectation and fun and then boredom kicking in. I think that's what they were combating mm. as well a little bit. We've seen this stuff before. How do you make it better, bigger, more exciting? And I think, they, did, you know, we should talk about the ending of the film, perhaps that last fight sequence when they unleash the T-Rex. <laughs> the, the, the Avengersaurus. The when Avengers, they, yeah. They, when it comes they, out oh, Clint Eastwood style with a, with a, with a poncho <laughs> and a cheroot in its mouth and it's like, let's, I'm go, let's go to work. Yeah. But if you look at the camera work and he talks about it, he talked about it with me and Nick, the, the, the actual sequence itself and, and integrating human characters into the action as well in a way that the first film couldn't do. Mm. There, are, there are subtle improvements in the action. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 big, the big effect shots that you absolutely can't do with practical stuff, I don't mind. And that mm. final fight sequence I absolutely loved. I had no problem with that. It's the little moments, the little shots, the claw coming through the gyrosphere. Yeah. Yes. That just looks fake to me. Mm. And yeah. that is something, surely you can get a giant claw mm. going through some glass or mm. something. You know, there needs to be something practical in that <laughs> shot. And it looked fake in the trailers, it looked fake in the film, and that, that's the kind of stuff. But the, the whole final stretch of the movie I loved, so... Yeah, it's, it looks better on, in the film than in the trailer. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why, but it just does. Well, it's presumably more finished. <laughs> for, for, for one reason, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, they work on these shots. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the shot of Zara 
the, all the stuff with the mosasaur and the, the the flying things they were they had that on set because when they were mm. shooting the film they, there was an ILM guy sitting there with a laptop and he was mm. and it looked fairly far along that shot mm. they they start working on these shots before they way yeah. before they start shooting anything with mm. actors so mm. these shots are in the being baked for two three years yeah. one thing i would say is that i think we we saw i mean certainly i saw the film twice in 3d i don't know if any of you have had the chance to see it in 2d yet because that's the way it's been screened to no. us but i think the conversion is a big problem in this one um and i think the, the reason it's a problem is that there are so many things involving leaves and leaves are incredibly difficult to convert mm. into 3d and what you have if you're actually i'm going to really ruin the experience for anyone if you if you're going to see it in 3d again maybe you've seen it already but you're going back watch what's happening with the leaves and the forest there's one scene where they're panning in towards the control center and because they've tried to to convert it it actually looks like this entire row of trees is rolling towards the control center rather than you rolling over the top of it it's it's really really distracting if you start looking at the leaves in this thing it it doesn't work honestly i don't think you should convert anything involving complex structures like that mm. i but just don't think you should colin Ferraro actually recommends the yeah, 2d he... version over the 3d so yeah. that kind of says it all it seems to be more and more the case with directors these mm -hmm. days that they're getting 3d foisted on them yeah i don't yeah i i, I think the cg holds up an, an awful lot i think it, it you know there's some terrific sequences that clearly you couldn't have done practically and i think our good friend the indominus rex is so big and so dexterous that i don't think that he could have really done but a practical if version he's of if he's 50 feet, sorry, if she's 50 feet long, she's only six feet longer than the Spinosaurus in, in number three, mm. which was 44. Was she fully grown? Because I got confused. Because no. when they're having yeah. a conversation, uh, <laughs> somebody says, I think Wu says, when she when she's fully grown, she'll be bigger than the T-Rex. Yeah, and which, then he goes, she already is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Immediately yeah, 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 afterwards. Yeah. 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 So, so I was slightly puzzled around that. The so other, the Indominus, yeah, we could talk about the Indominus. Now. Yeah, well, I just one more thing about the, 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 the raptor um, plot holes. The the, the the scheme to unleash the raptors on the Indominus, uh -huh. what was the thinking there? Because obviously in the first film, the raptors got monstered by the T-Rex at the end, yeah. right? They did cross so, the yeah. yeah. And the Indominus is more powerful than the T-Rex. So what exactly were they hoping that the I think they were hoping they track them, track him and hold him still long yes. enough for them to kill him. That's exactly Her, what, sorry, her. With yeah. That's exactly with, with their, their heavy-duty weapons, which mm. they had. Did they? Did they, did they? Yes. Yeah. They have all those mercs, yeah. Oh. They had like big explodey things. There's a, there's a whole oh, scene of them okay. shooting at the Spinosaurus. Uh, Spinosaurus. <laughs> there's a whole scene of them shooting at the Indominus Rex. All right, that kind of makes sense. Did you guys spot the Spinosaurus cameo? No. In no. fact, I have. We have a question mm. here. We have a question uh, which ties into that from Matthew in uh, Belgium, who says, "Debate this, if you please. Where is Spinosaurus in this park? Okay, the one on site B might have been killed in Jurassic Park three, but doesn't this badass beast look like something you'd want to put in your dinosaur park before you try and make a new one? Plus, according to the latest research, he could swim as well." This is a real Spinosaurus oh, okay. fanboy, which are few and far between. Because Matt, well, you included pictures. Yeah, can I see? Oh, cool! Look at these. Look at these pictures. Oh, cool! These are great. You know, pictures, great. pictures on a podcast, folks. This is this is fun. <laughs> this is a first. We're breaking uh, breaking new ground here. Uh, so the Spinosaurus is a controversial beast in the in the sort of Jurassic Park canon because in the third film, the Spinosaurus takes down the T Rex, yeah. and people got incredibly angry about this. Mm. People are still angry about this, and um, the T Rex gets its revenge in this film, which I thought was a really nice touch. Um, so basically, when the T-Rex is led out of its, uh, its enclosure and mm -hmm. it's stomping down Main Street, there is a Spinosaurus skeleton which is hanging oh, on Main Street. Yes. And it's just the ribcage and everything. And the T-Rex smashes through it, through it and oh, it explodes. Is that, is that what it is? Yeah. And oh, that's like yeah. the T-Rex getting its revenge. Oh, I have bravo. to say, yeah, because that <laughs> pissed me off in Jurassic Park 3. 
that pissed me off. I mean, I know that <laughs> science, blah, 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 and bigger and whatever, but, you know, sometimes the underdog wins. Sometimes. The Spinosaurus is the coat here. Yeah. Well, apparently not. <laughs> Sometimes the sun goes round the moon. I was reading that so, fight in Jurassic Park. Sometimes the snow falls down Stop the it. <laughs> Pull him out of this, someone. Don't save the best for last, Chris. Just don't do it. The Spinosaurus and the T-Rex fight in three, apparently a lot of that they did do practically. They had the, the models actually fighting because they're so, they were so powerful and so fast at that point that a lot of it they, were, they actually did practically. Wow. And the yeah. Spinosaurus model also ganked the T-Rex model. So <laughs> it's it's like it was a thorough victory in fiction and in reality. The Spinosaurus won that fight. So. The word of the Not day. in this one. <laughs> Ganked. It did have an unfair disadvantage in that a- it was a skeleton in this one. <laughs> but it's, I think it still counts as a, as a resounding victory. So, so the Indominus, the Indominus mm. Rex, not the Irex, apparently. I've asked oh. two different people this. And it's not the IREX. It, it hasn't stopped people calling it the IREX. I've seen that a little yeah. on Twitter. It sounds so, like yeah. something you would take for irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> you think that the focus or the group Apple would, would have, make? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the IREX. Maybe that. Maybe they've copyrighted it already. Uh, maybe when they inevitably make well, dinosaurs. There's a moment when Bryce Dallas Howard says, uh, "You know, why do you call it the Indominus Rex?" And she goes, "Well, we the focus group said, you know, whatever name she says, an impossible name was very difficult to pronounce. Four-year-olds couldn't say it. And, uh, how many four-year-olds can say Indominus Rex?" <laughs> Rex, yes. Yeah. But the Indominus. Well, you, you get know. tiny children being very familiar with, with dinosaur names, then, yeah. maybe. Indominus, of course, meaning untamable. I, I looked that up the other day, so I'm going to share it with everyone as often as possible. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, here's my big problem with the Indominus Rex. Not, not in the design, not in the execution. My big problem is, did nobody watch it while it was growing up? And notice, hey, look, it's changing colour. Did no one at any point think... It only did it when hey, it needed look. to, Helen. But how did it know because it could? Because it's Hannibal Lecter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like the aliens in, I think it was was Alien Resurrection, where they seem to know they have acid blood and they cut themselves up to bleed on things to yeah, get through things. that's very stupid. How do they know? You have to buy into the idea that this creature is the most intelligent thing that has ever... But just but fiendish. It's a good point, though. How does any animal know? How does a chameleon know that it can blend in with this background? They just know. But, but then they know because they've done it, presumably. Because they have thousands of years of breeding, I guess. But maybe at, she at saw some her point, sibling do it. At some point, the first comedian went, "I'm invisible to everything. This is awesome. <laughs> uh, I should do this more." And also, how did it know it could change back? Could have been a crisis for it. I've changed, <laughs> and now no one can see me, and I can't get fed anymore, and I'm not ready for my plan. <laughs> and how does thermal imaging work with cold-blooded reptiles anyway? Ah, they're not cold-blooded. They're warm-blooded. Okay. They, they say that in the, there's a line in the original movie. So how did the thermal imaging so, cease to work for it once it had... And again, did how did it know that it was being watched thermally? Because it's read the script. <laughs> it had Quite genuinely clearly. read the script. Yeah, it's, it's so intelligent. It, because the T-Rex can't read scripts because its arms are so small, but the Indominus Rex has bigger arms oh, so it can, it can okay, well, flip through pages. Then I take back all my <laughs> Well, there you go. It had also seen Predator and Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> because when it, when it ambushes the, the squad... Yes, that's clearly an homage to Aliens. It really the beginning is. of Aliens, and yeah. it knows that they're watching the the body count back at headquarters. Yes, yeah, and it's taking them out one by one, specifically as a as a, as a homage. And Speaking it's fading up out of the jungle, just like Predator. Speaking of movie references, I can't take credit for this, but somebody uh, on a forum that I saw pointed out that basically this is Rambo First Blood, but with Rambo as the villain of the movie. <laughs> so it's uh, someone who's trained to be a lethal killing machine who is, goes crazy in a sort of jungle stroke forest and starts taking down everyone who goes after it. 
Hmm. It's Rambo. And at no point does it put a red headband if, on. <laughs> well, if the Indominus Rex had, if it, if it had been a scene of it sewing up the wound after it clawed the tracking device out of it, then I'd, I'd go with that theory. But, uh, well, I'm not saying it. that this dinosaur's yeah. actually Rambo. I'm just saying there are, there are parallels. <laughs> mm. saying yes. that this is actually okay. still in dinosaur form somehow. You've reminded me about Owen Grady and that chunk of uh, Indominus back flesh with the, with the thing in it. He, he carried that around with him for the entire movie. Because there's a bit at the end where he suddenly mm, he's he, got it at the beginning, and then suddenly he like he needs to, to he just whips it out of his like yeah out of his knapsack or something. Oh wow! Sniffs. Yeah. Do you remember? It gets the, yeah. the raptors to have a sniff so they can track it. Ah. You're like, have you been really carrying that large <laughs> chunk of flesh around with you, and no one's gone? Uh, oh, and I don't remember him carrying. finding it. Yeah, no, I don't okay. remember him finding yeah, it. Oh yeah, yeah, he somebody did. Somebody else must have. Somebody else had it. He have this. Somebody. Yeah. Somebody went out to collect the bodies. Here's another question with the gyroscope. Right. Mm. Which, first of all, as a lawyer, can I just say, um, even aside, even before the events of this film, there is no way that that park has insurance. None whatsoever. I mean, apart from letting tiny children ride on dinosaur backs, even if they're even if they are, you know, leaf eaters, they could fall on a child and crush it because they're sturdy little things. So that's not going to happen. Um the the gyroscope that you can self direct gyrosphere, gyrosphere you, that you can self direct not going to and go into restricted areas yeah, that seemed... <laughs> yeah. and and the uh, canoeing along along a beautiful river with enormous dinosaurs nearby now they talk about these invisible fences and presumably that's some kind of implant which means mm. the dinosaurs keep a certain distance from things mm-hmm. but unless it's in every part of those bodies then you know if if it's in their like the base of the neck of a of a, an apatosaurus or something they could swipe something with their tail because they're so close you can see it in the screen they could swipe somebody with their tail without even being aware yeah. of it that crossed my mind too you almost don't need the indominus rex because people are going to die anyway <laughs> people are going to die anyway this park never I like the way ever... they kind of acknowledge that though doesn't Maserani basically go yeah someone's going to die at some point <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's inevitable it's something's going to get loose it's um, laissez fair but also here, here was here was the question I was actually going to ask so what we see is there's a big hole, uh, there's a big gate open uh, in the fence, and that's what how they get out in the gyrosphere. Yes. And the implication I took was that the Indominus had already broken through mm-hmm. that fence. But yes. the, but the herbivores inside are not dead. Mm. No, I think isn't it lying in wait? It's it's resting. So, it's so resting. it opened the fence and then went back to the other side of the fence. Didn't go through. Just opened the fence. Well, my feeling is it crashed through the fence from the other side. That's, no, because the re- no? It, came, it, it was in the restricted area to begin with. Okay. So if the fence is open to the herbivore... All right, well, maybe uh, another dinosaur cr- crashed through it in panic to get away from the uh, the uh, Indominus Rex. But then it would have had to be in that paddock, yeah. not killing herbivores already. Maybe it killed some herbivores and the... Well, we did, we we did, we did see, see later that it has killed a bunch of herbivores. Yeah, but in not in the paddock they were well, because they were, they were surrounded by herbivores who seemed quite calm. Uh, maybe they were in a different bit. <laughs> I, I don't know. Yeah, we're getting very, we need to lock down maps right. and uh, charts of the of the island. Was but, there a moment in the middle of the film where you were just waiting for someone to say, it's killing for sport? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You're just waiting for that line and sure enough. And then sure, he killed all of those, slaughtered the whole field of yes. the, what sort of dinosaurs were those, bro? Patasaurus, I think. Patasaurus. Patasaurus. None of the other ones ran away at all. They're all like within 50 yards of each other. So they must have been just standing there going, okay, my turn next. Is she killing for sport though? Or is she killing because she's freaked out and doesn't know what's going on and it's just killing everything? I don't know. Is there a I sense got, that she's having I got, fun? I got the feeling she was a, a rabid dog that needed to be put down. I thought, you know, she'd gone, she'd gone loco, big time loco. Um, which is why all the dinosaurs teamed up at the end to take, them, take her down because they realized that this, uh, this was a threat 
and so they needed to form the dinosaur avengers and and take and and, and stop it stop was that that time you got locked in the meeting room in our old office for like several hours <laughs> we had to yes get... yes and i clawed through the walls remember yeah yeah <laughs> took on half of grazia yeah that was a that was a bad day bad I've, got day. A, I've got a quick question um okay in in terms of how smart the indominus is does uh-huh. the indominus rex le- deliberately lead the helicopter to the aviary does no. it plan out that thing because it it the helicopter is following it and it goes yeah. into the aviary it would have and to it looks up at the helicopter at one point and we... i thought it is deliberately planning out all no. of this how could it we, we, sure? we've established this read the script but <laughs> it, it it hasn't seen the schematics of the park, and it, ca- it, was, it can't it understand there's an the Avery. Somewhere. It was just running blindly, I but think. It, it, it surely it can't understand. It can't understand that the helicopter is capable of crashing through the aviary and yeah. releasing all those things, and that that would then. Besides, it I, crashes yeah. through the aviary. It it's does, the first yeah. one to crash through the aviary. Jesus. And it, you know, cool dinosaurs uh, always walk away from explosions, and I think we've. we've <laughs> there's an argument that. that it goes into the aviary talks to the birds and tells them to fly up to the helicopter. This is as insane as the, uh, the, the fan <laughs> theory I saw today, oh. which was that the young kid who uh, Alan Grant nearly uh, guts with the raptor who claw in the first movie ago, is, yeah. mm. uh, is Owen Grady. The actor himself has said that isn't the case. Yes, yes he has. Fair. I like your, your, your thought though. These Kaiser Sosaurus. Well, I'd like to. <laughs> he's got everything nailed down. But if that is true, I, then why was he so close to the to the Mosasaurus pool at the end? He should have stayed well clear of that as a battle zone. Well, because it got kind of pushed pushed by the two other two dinosaurs. So yeah, one weakness in its entire plan. The, I'd like, like to see a subtitled version of this film where somebody is subtitled all the dinosaur um, interactions, like the, the Anchorman onion. scene. Uh, the Onion <laughs> critic has actually done that. Ooh. If you if you look at the Onion film critic uh, review of Jurassic World, he has actually subtitled the dinosaurs because he felt it was a major failing yeah. in all of these. There films. are several extended conversations between yeah. dinosaurs in this yeah. film. So mm. there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, I love the end of the film. I mean, I, I I have some issues with it, but I love the fact that at the end of the movie, having dispatched successfully the Indominus Rex, that the T Rex and the Raptor Lynn have a conversation with each other, which essentially translates as, "Well, little buddy, my job here is done." And it I'm was going, Baxter yeah. in the bear, wasn't it? Was it Baxter turned up and talked to everyone down off the ledge? And the raptor going, normally you would be trying to eat me, but I think we'd make a pretty good team and let's team up and fight dinosaur crime. Why not? Uh, (laughs) It's just kind of like, all right, okay. That's a sequel I'd like to see. I don't care about InGen's nefarious plans and what they're going to do with Dr. Wu's eggs. That sounds wrong. Um, But I want to see the T-Rex and the raptor solving dinosaur crime. Kind of Sharky and George, but out of the sea. Absolutely. Then. Prehistoric CSI. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I loved... The, my favourite stretch of this movie is the third act. From when it turns to night, very quickly. Mm-hmm. From How then, long from is then this on, day as well? It's a really long day. The cut from day to night was a little bit... I wonder if there was some stuff lost there. Because it, it suddenly is night. I, I, yeah. Well, but, it's but, the tropics. Anyway, that's gets, a very small, very very small quibble. But I, I, I loved... All the stuff from when they unleashed the raptors. I know it's it's daft, and I know the T-Rex thing is ridiculous, but just that whole stuff just doesn't let up. And yeah, it's so much I, fun. I, I, yeah. Second time around, I had, I had fewer problems with that. Uh, you know, the, the the dinosaurs working together is still a little bit something. But, you know, someone said it feels a bit like fan fiction. It's like, oh, we haven't had a T-Rex yet. Ah, oh, what would you do? I know the T-Rex comes in and saves the day at the end, despite the fact he's clearly smaller than the, 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 the Indominus. She, I guess. She, Are they still yeah. all female? Uh-huh. Yep. In this park? It's the same T-Rex from the original. Yeah, same T-Rex. No way. Yes. No, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, no, yeah. he's confirmed this. That it's You see the scars on, on the side of the face from How long the original they raptor for? battle. Oh, they live a while. I mean, mm. it's only been 20 years. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that is that is the uh, the original Rexy. Wow. <laughs> so he, he uh, talked on the podcast, uh, on the interview, actually, about how the, he saw the T-Rex as being sort of Burt Lancaster. 
an old gunslinger coming out for one final battle kind of thing. <laughs> That's amazing. Forgiven. That's amazing. Um, the, the, the whole rapture thing where they sort of, you know, go bad and then kind of come good again. Mm. Um, it is part of this obsession, this modern obsession with making every bad guy a good guy. If you get enough sequels, at some point your bad guy will be a good guy. Terminator, um, you know, Darth Vader, um, mm. even Hannibal Lecter in the prequel kind of sort of. Uh, yeah. You know, everybody gets to be a good guy at some point. It's bizarre. But what I liked about this film was that it didn't neuter the Raptors. Yeah. I mean, because I think we all saw that shot of them riding alongside uh, Owen Grady. And just a reminder again, that's that's the character's name. <laughs> that the real name, uh, Owen Grady. And they're riding alongside the, the, the bike. And I think everyone thought, oh, God, they're going to be teaming up and they're going to be high-fiving and doing kicks and stuff. And right from the off, that first scene, it's yeah. like, oh no, these are, these, they'll, they'll gut you in a second yeah. if if they can. And I really, really like that. And I like the fact, I like the fact that they turned and I like the fact that they, they munched on a whole bunch of people. And they were just, at the end, they were kind of killing for sport as well. Mm. They were just butchering people and not remotely stopping for a snack. Well, that the moment I loved, the moment where they turn on all the humans. You kind of yeah. knew it was going to come, but it yeah. was really well handled. Really yeah. smart twist with the raptor DNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So presumably cuttlefish, if, if the Indominus Rex comes across some cuttlefish, he will be able to turn them to his <laughs> evil bidding. And uh, that could be the, the next film. Oh, well, we wow. never see a body. He's in the water right now with the Mosasaur. Who knows? He could be swimming. There could be <laughs> a could legion be... of cuttlefish, even now. Cuttlefish world coming 2018. It's, it's, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm quite annoyed. I'm really hoping that there is one more movie this summer that has a cuttlefish reference in it, because yeah. there have been two so far, That'd Age of nice. Ultron and now this. Was there not one in SpongeBob? Uh, Maybe SpongeBob could team up with the <laughs> the Indominus and his cuttlefish. That would be. But I'm 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 with Nick in this one. I thought I thought there were some terrific sequences in this film, and I thought the whole raptor chase, uh, the idea of this the the doors closing as in a in a fan as they're trying to get away and they're trying desperately to close the doors and the raptors are closing in. Yeah, I, I really liked that. I thought there were some really really nice ideas. The uh, the Indominus Rex appearing behind them in the gyrosphere in that mm -hmm. in That was great. That was How many dinosaurs shot. are there? Four dinosaurs? No, there's five dinosaurs. What? <laughs> it's like, and you can slowly see it emerging from behind them. I, I thought there was some great, great... And the breakout, the, the escape uh, sequence with the Indominus getting out, which happens yes. really nice and early on in the film. Mm. Um, I like that it's kind of loose and running around while all the other stuff is going on. Mm. Um, but yeah, with the, the two most expendable looking actors, along with Chris <laughs> Pratt, I was just chortling to myself in the cinema when I saw those two guys because it's... Well, yeah. <laughs> By the way, Mexican Wolverine from uh, 22 Jump Street. Oh, really? He's the other guy. Hey. Yeah. Uh, uh, so you, you spoke to Paddock, overweight Paddock Worker. Yeah, that's Mexican that's Wolverine. That's Mexican Wolverine? Yeah. Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, so if you go on, I was looking down the IMDb cast list for Jurassic World. Yeah. Um, there's some amazing character, sort of character names. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the Mexican Wolverine guy, that is his IMDb photo. <laughs> it's him as Mexican Wolverine <laughs> that's, in uh, yeah. 22 Jump Street. Yeah, it's definitely him. Okay. He's awesome. If awesome. I had one sort of caveat to that, and I think these are, the actresses are really, really good, it does, it does slightly lack the Spielbergian magic of the first film, mm. the, the specific grace notes. And I, when I look back at the film, I know I really I enjoyed it, I enjoyed the ride, but I'm finding it hard to catch on to particular moments, like the, the water glass, for instance, mm. in the first film, or the, or the wraps in the kitchen, or, yeah. you know, the T-Rex the chase and the little moments like, you know, objects may... Is it a couple of nods to that? Though. Yeah, there are little nods to it. Don't get me wrong, but I just think you know, with the with the with the chase sequence where they're trying to get away in the truck and the raps are coming after them, it, it just wasn't that thing that elevated it to the next level. It I, wasn't that clever, clever idea. I agree, and I think what you're really missing also is the. I think the characters aren't even close to 
the first one. Not There's nothing in Owen Grady or Claire that is close to this, the, the core characters mm. in the first film. Um, I mean, my, my favourite moment, if I'm honest, in the first Jurassic Park is, is Alan Grant shaking and having to have a sit down. Yeah. When he first sees dinosaurs, when he mm. first sees live, live dinosaurs, because that just sums up an entire, you know, an entire life and entire career up to this yeah. point. And yeah. Suddenly just like, whoa. And obviously you can't quite have that again because that's, you know, the very first live dinosaurs. I get that that particular moment isn't going to be repeated, but you need something that has that impact and has that that power. And these characters are at best archetypes for the most part. I think in some of the supporting characters, you get a little bit more to it. I think Lowry's Jake Johnson. Yeah, yeah, Larry is great. Um, but I, I didn't care ultimately about Owen and Claire. I didn't get any sense of real chemistry between them beyond the fact that they're both super, super hot. And in <laughs> Owen's case, super, super, super hot. Well, can I just chip in and say Bryce Dallas Howard is super, super hot in this as well? Yeah, so, okay. Uh, so in the they're interest both of super, fairness. Super We've all agreed in the interest of fairness. I'm not sure how I felt about the kiss. Um, that was weird. I, it moment, feels but... off, a little <laughs> yeah. bit off. Maybe it's the fact that all these people are getting still getting like killed around them. And uh, that the, there's still all these dinosaurs loose, and then yeah. they, they have a nice kiss. We we won't know how you react until you've. Had I know, a but I just thing. mean the moment in the movie with the music yeah. going. Hey, yeah. look, I don't know. It just yeah. seemed a bit like just coming just after a moment where, you know, even a little baby triceratops almost got. Know, almost. Oh, that would that would have been awful. So, you know, yeah, it's quite it, a dark scene. A lot of people die mm. off screen in that scene. They do. It's just it's. I just I didn't I didn't buy it. I didn't get the sense of banter between them. I didn't like either of them uh, yeah. that much I think and I know you don't have to but yeah. I thought well, I, yeah, he's likeable because he's Chris Pratt mm. but it kind of felt again that he was being held back a little bit there were, there, so. there were loads of scenes that, that I saw I was watching and I thought Star-Lord would have crept at this point and no he's not a real person but so Chris, would Pratt Chris Pratt in Parks and Rec would yeah. have quipped at this point Burt Macklin FBI would quip <laughs> at this point and I just feel that it needed just a little bit more of that, so he wasn't just the generic, conventional tough guy who doesn't change. Doesn't change. Although at all. he does become the mother hen at the end, which I thought was a nice little touch. Now that that is a Vic Hoskins metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's from his the Vic Hoskins big book of hen metaphors. Um, do you know who almost, according to IMDb, played Owen Grady? Jason Statham. Jason freaking Statham. Oh, well, that explains a lot, actually. You can see why they didn't cast him because I wouldn't have been a fair fight for the uh, Indominus Rex. He was punched I, in the face. <laughs> yeah. I think this would have been a much fresher feeling film if they had swapped those two characters around. Yeah. If he had been the... And, and I wouldn't even swap the casting necessarily. Yeah. If you had had Chris Pratt as the uptight executive, yeah. that immediately would have been more interesting mm -hmm. than mm -hmm. her being the uptight executive. I mean, and, and I'll be honest, like some of the stuff I've seen about this, Trevor Rose said that his, um, his writing partner did the, and I quote, women and children, that he has no feel for writing women and children. That's a little bit of a worry because quite frankly, mm. they're people. You just write people and you'll yeah. be okay. But also, like he said that they were kind of going for it and it happened one night, sort of a, a mm. vibe between the two of them. And first of all, she's way more uptight than it happened one night. And that was 81 years ago. And we should have come on a bit since. And I feel like we should have got a different model but to I, go from. I liked that, you know, there were characters who changed and grew during the course of the movie. And I, I, you know, the, the the two kids, the two boys, uh, Ty Simpkins and Nick Robinson, mm. were I think were were examples of that. Uh, Nick Robinson's character, who 
starts out as well, some sort of weird so sociopath awful. staring at <laughs> girls, just randomly staring at girls. Every scene if, he's staring. As if he'll somehow, I think he's a teenage boy there. He's a teenage boy, absolutely. But as if he'll somehow Darren Brown them into bed. or I, <laughs> I don't know. But I, I, I really liked the little introduction. I thought it was quite subtle uh, of the, the divorce plot line and... I thought Ty Simpkins' moment where he breaks down uh, mm. so on the on the on the uh, the monorail. He was I thought great. I thought he was really really good, and he brings out a humanity in his brother. And I liked that the Raptors changed as well. I think you know someone was. I, I said in my um, review that you know this is the first movie to have character arcs for dinosaurs, and someone mm. went, "Oh, I'd like to see that." Uh, well, you have. So you know, but I, I liked the way that Claire changed. I know there are problems, and I know that there are problems with the dialogue. And well, I don't think she changed. I think she did change. I think she changed a lot. I mean, her her outfit changed. I think no, she's she's much more warm and much more human by the end of the film. Um, I, I think it's quite she's broad. It's quite broad. Beats, it's, it's a broad. Yeah, beat, I mean, yeah, the, the, there's, a, there's the moment where she cries when she sees that she starts thinking of the dinosaurs in terms of animals rather than, mm. and I think she and the same with the children, I presume. But yeah, I presume. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think she does. I think she has she has an awakening. I don't think she's necessarily a bad person at the beginning of the movie. No, I think she's I just think someone she's who's lost all. a bit of touch. Yeah, absolutely. But I've seen some people go, she's bad and even you know cold and corporate and. No, she's and I just busy. I, I think. Yeah. I, and I just think she. I think she starts off. The film is a you know very capable person ends it as a very capable person. Mm. I also think there's a little bit of an echo of San Andreas in that you've got people kind of leaving their post. Frankly, at the moment of greatest crisis, I feel like both Claire and Owen possibly should have been somewhere slightly more central than chasing around after two teenagers out of yeah. touch with most of the rest of the park when a giant, brand new, untried, ununderstood dinosaur, that's a horrible word, I apologise, um, is on the loose. Terrible phone signals on this island. Well, they need to get Verizon in, frankly, because uh, <laughs> there's several moments in the film where they're like... That's literally the next question from uh, Evelyn Lang uh, via email. He says, what on earth was going on with the story convenient communication blackouts? I assumed at first it was going to be the bad in-gen lot, but then other calls went through. Yes, the calls just seemed to go through, and then, you know, this is one of those things. You didn't have this back in the original Jurassic mm. Park but now everyone can talk to everyone at any moment like for example when the uh, the Indominus Rex is about to attack Owen and yeah. uh, Paddock's supervisor and the other guy and <laughs> and suddenly he's like get out get <laughs> Chris, that was the Indominus Rex. It has a special uh, device which it uses to... Um, Cloaking. Yeah, yeah. it's like it, 24. It's, it's taken from certain deep sea jellyfish. Yeah. Here's a question from Rob Johnson who says... Hi guys, I have a question about Vincent D'Onofrio's character's death, uh, which you witnessed on set. I did, I witnessed it. You wrote around it very uh, elegantly in your Jurassic World cover feature. Didn't give away who, who, it, was, who it was. Uh, because if you'd given away who was in that room, then people would have been uh, able to guess. I couldn't, I couldn't mention that he was even there because <laughs> yeah. people would have figured it out. But um, yeah, no, I was there watching while he, he uh, forgot his lines many, many, many times. Um, but... What a great actor. Got there in the end. Got there in the end. All right, so just before he gets killed by the raptor, I could have sworn he said, woo, you don't have to do this. Am I mistaken? Or did he say, blue? Does this mean that Wu sent the raptor to kill him so he could take the embryos for himself? And if so, what kind of power does he have over the raptors? Or am I completely barking up the wrong tree here? I think you I might. Think, no, <laughs> I, I, think, I think the, the entire idea about that character is that he knows nothing about dinosaurs. He sees them as weapons. He doesn't know anything. He actually says boy, down boy or something like that to mm. Blue at that point, mm. not realising it's uh, she's a girl. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's I think it was Blue, not Wu, definitely. Yeah. Um, but Wu is an interesting character, obviously, and, and the idea is that this uh, technology, I guess, is getting out. Although I would have thought if this has been around for 22 years that other people would be on it as well by this point. 
Can you, oh, well, I can, mean, can you patent the technology? I you guess you can so. patent. Yeah, this is a, a a growing source of concern that yeah. people are patenting DNA. Um, but if you were extracting your own DNA and doing it independently from amber, yeah. Well, of know. course, Jurassic Park is driven. The plot of Jurassic Park is driven by a rival company trying to get the embryos and trying to get their own technology up and running. So, what happened to that company, Nick? Do you know? Do you even know which company that is that Dodgson works for? The the bastard. Oh, uh, Biosen. Biosen. Yeah. I mean, what's happened to them? Woo. You know, is, yeah. is Wu a double agent? Did you like the twist that Wu turns out to be a badden? He comes back and he's all. You know, he, again, it's his second film this, this this summer to reference mad scientists and mad scientists. I'll tell you science. what I like about Wu. Wu is a man who colour coordinates his beverage to amber. So he drinks jasmine tea, which is the same colour as the lump of amber he's got. <laughs> there we go. I enjoyed that detail. There you go. There you I go. Maybe the only person who did. Yeah, he's clearly going to be back, isn't he? Because he's he is kind of instrumental in uh, things going wrong. And he's clearly off pl- plotting his next move. So we're going to see Wu again, I think. Good. And we have both Larry and Barry have survived, right? Uh, yes. Barry definitely survived. Yeah, I, want, I wanted more of uh, Omar Sai's Barry and I wanted more of um, Brian T's Hamada, who is the Japanese um, leader of the ACU, the Asset Containment Unit. And I, when I saw his little bits in the trailers, I was really hoping he was going to have a lot more to do and yeah. be the kind of Muldoon figure on the park, but he got taken out. It's a shame, I think. Uh, I agree with you completely on that, uh, but I would have liked to have seen more of uh, Irfan Khan as mm. Simon Masrani, who's the John Hammond figure for the movie. And I, I really liked him. He had a warmth and a benevolence yeah. that I, I thought really, really came across. And yeah, th- and he was cool. He was cool. That, that's why I was saying he's kind of a cross between Hammond and almost Malcolm. Yeah, Malcolm. he was. Mm. I, I really, really liked him. I think he could have done more. Um, but I, I have to say one of my favorite shots in the film is the, his final close-up. Mm. As he's about to crash into the Avery, and he realizes that all the money in the world ain't gonna save you if from um, from hubris. And you know, Hammond is a hubristic character, and I think Masrani is as well. Even though he's very cool and calm, and you know, hey, I'm more interested in my park, and are the people enjoying it, and I'm you know, I'm all about the you know the the vibes. Uh, at the end of the day, it's his hubris. I can fly a helicopter. I can take the dinosaur down. Of course, I can. That 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 is his downfall. But it's a shame. I really, I really. He's like a likable character. character. Yeah, he really is. Mm. Which is interesting because they could easily have gone the other way. The corporate mustache twirler. Whoa, ha ha! I don't care about human beings. But uh, I thought it was nice. They went in a different direction. We don't have a lot of time left. But the film clearly sets up, especially with the woo stuff and the ingen stuff. It clearly sets up a different direction. There's no way they can do another theme park. This thing ain't gonna open again. Someone even says that in the uh, in the in the mm. movie. Um, so where do you think Jurassic Park 5 we had a, a reader question hoping that it could be all about Edmund but <laughs> yeah, I wrote that <laughs> but uh, where do you where do you think where do you want it to go and do you want Bryce Dallas Howard to finally take over high heels a word on high heels you can sprint in high heels okay. it's easier to sprint in them than to walk in them really because because um, you should be landing on your forefront foot when you're sprinting anyway, so you don't need to put your heels down. Okay. Um, should she not have swapped for a pair of trainers, or should she have come barefoot? I, I, I think either would be preferable, personally, but then mm. I don't. I wouldn't be caught dead in those heels in the jungle anyway. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it, it was a bizarre little character choice, but, you know, hey, well done, her, for running in it and keeping them on. Um, and outrunning a T-Rex in them as well. Outrunning a T-Rex yeah. in them, yeah, that was impressive. I don't know if we'll see her again. I don't see what her role would be if if it isn't if it doesn't involve a park, if she isn't overseeing yeah. the park. So presumably it's going to have to be Beasties getting loose somewhere. Well, Owen could be involved. I mean, Owen if they go in a, if they go in a military like, direction, yeah. then I think 
that he could be back. Well, uh, Trafaro said in our Twitter breakdown, didn't he, that he saw... uh, No, actually, he didn't. He he spoke to Empire, uh, Ollie um, Ollie Richards and Empire, about a year ago, first time he spoke about the movie, and he said that he saw Owen and Barry as characters that could go forward into a trilogy. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, he's said he's not directing the next movie. It's unlikely he'll direct the next movie, so maybe those plans will also fall by the wayside. Also, Chris Pratt's dance cards filling up pretty damn quickly. But this film's going to be huge. Yeah. It's going to be huge. It's going to make a billion, isn't it? Uh, and uh, so there will be a sequel. He was rather implying, uh, Trevorrow, that, that, that what would happen if if the dinosaur thing went open source and you can get, you can clone dinosaurs in other countries and other, other people get hold of the technology so that it might spread to another environment and a more irresponsible power, I guess, that hasn't learned from these mistakes. Mm. So I wouldn't rule out something that's... I think the thing is it doesn't need to be in a contained locale. Mm. Otherwise it becomes like a zombie dinosaur apocalypse. And I don't think anyone wants to see that particularly. And it's not really practical. So, yeah, maybe it's just somewhere outside the US. As long as we see parachuting dinosaurs at some point. (laughs) Come on. Um, Yeah, I I think we're going to see the next movie having a more warfare sort of slanted bent, I think. Mm. They can't do a theme park. So, yeah, we'll see. I'd quite like to see a a spin-off about the bouncer in the control room who had a terrible day. He was trying to stop people coming in the control room. <laughs> Everyone burst past him. He was having a shocker. So I'd like to see a, a small independent movie about him and his next job. And yeah. I, I wish him the best. Entry not guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to see that that double act, uh, double the cop, the, the, the dinosaurs. The, the T-Rex. Yeah, yeah, the dinosaurs teaming up and doing some crime solving, dino crime solving. In a time with a time machine, going back to... Dinosaurs from this period going back to the actual <laughs> Jurassic period, oh, wow. which they're not from. Like Bill and Ted. Yeah. With dinosaurs. In a phone box. Yeah. In a giant and then, phone box. Well, they, they, what they kill themselves. So it's like a dinosaur back to the future. Wait, but maybe they'd be better than the dinosaurs in those days. Because we, we, there is that line here about we're not really making dinosaurs. These are very different looking mm. beasts. Yeah, it'd be mm. a, it'd So maybe be a they're culture better. Culture shock movie. Yeah. Oh my maybe they Blue would and take over bogus journey. Yes. The, the actual Jurassic period. Which some Blugus, of them aren't even the from. The Blugus journey. Blue and Rex's bogus journey. I'm, I'm, my my twelve dollars is down. That that's amazing. I don't know why I'm paying in dollars, but I'll, I'll pay any currency to see that film. That that it would probably cost twelve dollars as well. In, in fairness, uh, that's an astonishing idea, and I, I think that's a good note on which to end. Uh, that is it for our Jurassic World uh, spoiler special. Thank you so much for listening. I think our next spoiler special is going to be <laughs> either Terminator Genesis, Genesis, Genesis. Terminator, Genesis, or it's going to be Marvel's Ant-Man. So keep them peeled for that. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Listen for the regular podcast, of course, if you don't already, every Friday. Uh, it's all uh, a lot of fun. And Edinburgh. Yes, and if you're listening to this before June 21st and you happen to be around Edinburgh or Scotland uh, and you're not a genetically modified dinosaur because we don't want any of them, uh, you know, uh, we're, ex- we're, we're inclusive, but... Not, that Not to the point of stupidity. Uh, we're doing a live podcast at the Edinburgh Film Festival Sunday, June 21st, 11.30. Tickets are on sale via the Edinburgh Film Festival website. Just £5 a pop. We're going to have some special star guests. We're going to have spot prizes and uh, four of us talking like idiots. And if you like that sort of thing, then come along to that because it's going to be a lot of fun. Right, until the next time you hear our voices, it's goodbye from Helen. Hello. It's goodbye from Phil. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Nick. Stay safe. It's goodbye from Edmund. Goodbye. Yeah, it's the same voice. Uh, it's very different. I can see why you, may, you might have been cut out of the movie in Paris. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'll see you next time. Bye.